This is the message of James. Faith works. Coming off the heels of a really cool week like Sports World, which, I mean, who here was at Sports World last week? Have you gotten sleep at all? Maybe a little bit. Um, I, I think Saturday I was just so drained. I was so exhausted. But it was really cool because I see a lot of, uh, of your faces that were there this past week. And that just pumps me up because that's what I want our college ministry to be about. That's what I want all of us to be about. And uh, Sports World's one of my favorite weeks, I think even more so this last year, because uh, we had a new member of, of the Johnson family make his first appearance at Sports World. We got a fun, uh, cute picture here of, of Asher's first first Sports World. Uh, isn't that cute right there? So good. I mean, just a stunning, beautiful, beautiful picture. And Asher's not bad himself. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was so fun just to see them there and, and to see all of you wonderful people. And uh, yeah, that's so I, I mentioned that because, well, I like to show off Asher. But also because that's a, one of the things that we're going to be talking about here in the book of James about what what true, pure, undefiled religion is, as James talks about. And, and we've been in the book of James the past couple of weeks, obviously not last week because of Sports World. Uh, but we're going to jump in at James chapter 1, verse 18. So if you have a Bible, James 1, 18, jump on your phone, whatever that is. The first two weeks, uh, we, we, we were tracking with James, and, and we saw him address a few different things. And really, the whole book of James is, is a lot of ways to measure the quality of your faith. And, and we do that, we measure the quality of our faith by the way that we respond to the things of this world. The first one that he talked about was trials. So how do you respond to trials? How do you respond to temptation? Do you blame God? Do you shift responsibility everywhere else in this world? Or do you understand that, that sin and the temptations of this life come from within you? How do you respond to trials? Do you shake your fist at God? Do you think you know better? Uh, do you run from him or do you trust him? Do you trust that the, the things that trials are producing in your life to make you more like him in the end? So we talked trials, we talked, we talked temptations, and now in, in the rest all the way to the end of chapter 1, we're going to talk about the Word of God. How do we respond to the Word of God? And what does that tell us about our faith? Because all of us know in this room that, that we have people in our lives that would claim that they are Christians. Uh, they would claim that they are religious or spiritual. If you go around the coffee shops, we have a lot of spiritual people in Denton, which is cool. I don't know what it means, but it's fun to have a conversation. And uh, that we have all of these different types of conversations and, and people that say they are Christians and they genuinely believe that they are. They're not trying to deceive you. But the problem, and, and James addresses it because it's true in their days, that they have deceived themselves, that their faith is not genuine. And so as we dive into these things, this is so helpful for us to reflect, how am I doing? How am I doing? How do I respond to the word of God? There's two areas specifically that we're going to look at. One, it's our receptivity to the word. And two, it's our response to the word. It is our hearing of the word and our obeying of the word. So we're going to be reflecting on our lives, examining how we are doing in these areas. Uh, but before we look at those two things, I want, to, I want to talk about verse 18, because this talks about the power of God's word. Jump in, me, in with me there. It says, in the exercise of his will, being God the Father, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of firstfruits among his creatures. In the exercise of God's will, he brought us forth. This is uh, 
a, a big, it's, I guess, a theological debate, whatever you want to call it, of, of, of do we choose God? Does God choose us? The answer is it's the exercise of God's will. That in, it's God's desire, it is God's plan that he would bring us forth, literally, to give us birth. Maybe you've heard the term born again, that you would be a born again believer. The idea there is not that you were born twice physically, but that you were born physically once, and then you were born again spiritually. You have a new life in Christ. And this is what is saying, that God is the cause of new life in Christ, of, of being born again. This is our salvation moment when we are brought forth by God, given birth by God. And it happens, what is the, the means of salvation? It's the word of truth. He says, by, every time you see B-Y there, it's, a, it's the instrumental. It is the instrument of some action or some cause there. And so God gives us new life by the word of truth. So what's that saying is, is that God's word is the agent of transformation in this world. It is the agent of transformation that we are transformed from death, an enemy of God, and transformed into life, from death to life, from an enemy of God, reconciled, at peace with God, and that happens through the word, specifically the gospel. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So we see that the word of truth that is the power of transformation in our lives. You see his other example, so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So one, his first analogy is birth. And the second analogy is fruit. We see Jesus uses both of these as well. James is just following Jesus' footsteps here. We see birth and we see fruit. And so the seed is the gospel. And it sprouts and it begins to grow and bear fruit in our lives. And then it spreads and it spreads and it spreads. But the key here is what the power is in. It's in the word. And I think this is big. And James plays off of this. If you jump into verse 19, he says, This you know, or, or literally says, know this. He says, know this. And, and, and so I think what he's talking and he's, what he's trying to tell these people here, he says, hey, you know that it's the word of God that brings salvation to people. You know you were saved by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus, by hearing that and believing upon it, by putting your faith in what God has done. You know this. But the problem that we run into is after we are saved, all of a sudden we think, well, maybe God's word doesn't really matter as much in our life. Like, now that I'm saved, I bring in my own effort, and I make myself more like Christ. But the agent of transformation is not us unto maturity. It is still the Word of God. It is the agent of transformation in our lives. So it's the power of God that saves us through His Word, and it is the power of God that sanctifies us to progress us spiritually. So as we move into this conversation about God's Word and the importance of it in our lives— James starts there. He says, let me remind you of how you need the word of God in your life. Because what James is not about to talk about is just some cool checklist thing, like, hey, make sure you have your quiet time so God will love you more. That's not what it is. That's not why the word is important. The word is important because the power is in the word to make us look more like Christ. It is the nutrients that we need if we are a plant 
It is the nutrients that we need in order to grow. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Why? That by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The power is in the word. So as we begin this conversation, James says, hey, you know the power of the word unto salvation. You know the power of the word for the rest of your life, that you would grow by it. That you would grow by it. So he jumps in, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I've got to be honest, the longest time I've read this, and maybe you're in the same boat, I have viewed this uh, verse talking about social interactions. Like between human beings, you are, you're quick to listen, you're slow to speak, you're slow to anger. So, okay, okay, I can't get mad uh, at... at at JJ here. I need to slow down. I need to listen to him. I'm going to listen to you first, and then I'm going to talk later, and then I'm not going to get angry at JJ. I don't know why I get angry at JJ, but I'm not going to. Uh, and, and so I just view that that was social interaction. But if you view it in the context of what James is talking about, he's talking about what? He's talking about the Word of God and how we respond to it. So what James is saying is that we need to be quick to listen to the Word. We need to be quick to listen to the word of God. This idea of being quick to listen, uh, it, it's, I think it's, this is in our quiet time. This is in the public preaching of God's word that, that we are quick to listen. I think it's the idea of being eager. Like, do you jump, do you take opportunities to be in the word of God? Are you eager for it? Are you hungry to listen to God's word? think maybe for some of us that answer might be no not at all like I'm not quick to listen to God's word like I will I will try and avoid it as much as I can I will find every excuse uh, to miss out on church uh, or uh, to go somewhere else and I think there's two types of people and it always tells me uh, what you desire there's people that make sacrifices and there's people that make excuses and if that's coming to the bridge, that's going to church on Sunday morning, that's being a part of a, of a life group, or, or whatever it may be. I mean, we do this all the time in life. Like, you don't want to go to your friend's house, and you're like, how can I get out of this? I stubbed my toe, and I can't make it. And you're like, interesting. <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'll see you next time. Like, you didn't want to be there. You didn't desire it, so you made excuses so you didn't have to be there. But if you desired it, you would make every sacrifice possible in order to be there. You're like, I crashed my car on the side of 35, but I'm walking. Because I want, to be, I want to listen to the word. I want to be there. I have a desire to be there. So what's the question? Do you desire God's word? Do you have a hunger for God's word? Do you want to spend time in the scriptures? Do you look forward to hearing God's word taught? I know, look, I know I can be boring. I know I can ramble. So go somewhere else. But don't just be like, ah, he's boring. And so I won't go anywhere ever again. Like, no, 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 no. Like, do you make a desire? Do you seek it out? Or do you make excuses? Or do you let little things get in the way of hearing God's word, of spending time with him day after day after day? Is the desire there for you? Now, I know that there are times in our lives where that desire is, is dulled uh, because sometimes life just sucks the life out of us. And, and the desire isn't there for us as much. And I know for me on a personal level, uh, there are days, especially when I had a newborn, well, still have a newborn, but like when it was the, the crazy time of having a newborn, you'll understand one day. And I just hadn't been in the Word for like two or three days. And I could not tell you, like just within me, 
I just felt like I was desperate to get in the word. And I just started reading and I was like, oh, this is so good. This is so nice. Like there's just something deep down within the believer that longs for the word of God. And when we are out of the word of God, we feel it. I was talking to a buddy just a couple of days ago, and he's like, you know, it's funny. I didn't feel like I was distant from God. I didn't feel like I was cold or far off or anything, and I could kind of been in the Word. But then I just had one of those times where I, like, got everything out of the way. I just had my journal and my Bible right there. And it, it was just like, man, God, I, I missed you. Like, I, there's something about that was so sweet to my soul. And so I think what James is saying is the mark of a Christian is, is that they have a receptivity, a desire to be in God's Word. They are quick to listen. They are eager to listen. They are also slow to speak. I think, I, I, now, this one's kind of confusing. She's like, slow to speak God's word. Uh, but I believe that we are in a, a young Christian culture, and, and we are saturated with people that are very quick to speak in the context of God's word. I mean, we have a billion podcasts starting up. We have a billion blogs. We have a billion people that are like, give me the platform, give me the stage, give me social media, and I will just speak God's word. But the problem, the problem is not the desire to speak God's word. I think that's a great thing. I think the problem that we're running into is that people do not take the time. They, do, they are not slow to speak of, of being very thorough in their process, of, of knowing God's word, of being trained, equipped, and, and ready to actually present the word of God accurately. And so what we run into is a bunch of half-baked thoughts with very soft theology that's just kind of surface level across the board, and I think we're missing the mark with that, because we aren't slow to speak. And I know this might be hypocritical because I'm pretty young, and I'm here speaking the word, but let me just tell you, uh, this, this weighs on my, my heart so heavily every time I'm up here on Tuesday, not because I don't I'm not nervous to speak in front of you. I, I, that does not bother me at all. Public speaking does not bother me. I mess up my words every other sentence, and I just don't care. I just keep going. Uh, but let me tell you, what, what drains me, what, what drives me and keeps me up at night is that I would rightly handle the word of truth. That I, I fear within me, it burdens within me, that I would ever misrepresent the truth of God's word. And I spend hours and hours and hours and hours in commentaries and sermons and listening to other people and learning as much as I can because I do not want to misrepresent the word of truth. And that we are slow to speak God's word. James even emphasizes this at the beginning of, of chapter 3. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as much as... Oof, See, I'm not nervous. Uh, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. He says, let not many of you become teachers. He says, don't just jump into this. Don't just start talking because you like that people listen to you. He says, we have to take this seriously. So what for here, the application, you may never not get behind a, a pulpit and, and preach the word of God but the way that you counsel, the way that you talk of God's word, be very careful. Don't just throw things out there half-heartedly without knowing the context, without knowing the truth of those things. We don't need more people with half-baked thoughts that just want to be social media influencers and find a reason to get into it. Be very careful that you would not misrepresent, mishandle the word of truth, that we are slow to speak on behalf of God and his word. And thirdly, we are slow to anger. 
Uh, this Greek word that James uses is, is not like the anger of just some outward eruption of, of just fire. It's not this outward like explosion, but it is this deep inward resentment. It is a deep inward anger, some kind of a fuming against something. Just be slow to anger, and I think the idea that James has here is that we aren't be, to be angry or resentful when, the, when we are listening to God's word. That we can't get angry or resentful against God's word and say, why would you be angry against God's word? I think we've all run into moments where we thought something and then we realized the Bible says differently. The Bible disagrees with our worldview. The Bible disagrees with our lifestyle, that there are times when the scriptures confront who we are or what we do. And he says, hey, be slow to anger. Be slow that you would resent the word of God when it confronts your lifestyle. When it is against you, are you going to be against it? Or are you going to submit? Are you going to surrender? And in order to surrender, it takes humility Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. He says, if you, are, if you are constantly restraining, if you are against, if you are uh, avoiding the word of God, then it will not produce the righteousness of God in you. A righteousness is our conformity to God's standard. It's a conformity to God's way, to his character, that we would be like Christ. He says, if you want to grow in this process of sanctification, you can't reject the power of transformation in your life, which is the word of God, the agent of transformation. He's saying, hey, if you are these things, if you are not eager to listen to the word of God, if you are, if you are slow to speak, if you are slow to anger these things, that's where the power is. He says, this is the power in our lives. So how do you respond, or how do you receive the word? Do you receive the word? And this might be in your own quiet time. This might be up here when you hear something from the word taught and you're like, oh, I am, I am contrary to that. Or maybe it's when a friend approaches you and they confront you for something in your life. Maybe you're in a foundation group. Maybe you're in a life group and someone says, hey, I don't think you should be doing that. How do you respond? You get angry? Do you resent them? Do you resent God? How do you receive the word? Verse 21, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Which is able to save your souls. Um, there's three things that I, I love in verse 21. The, the main verb here of this verse is, is the word receive. To receive. So that is the main verb here, but if you notice right after that, you see the word implanted. You would receive the word that is implanted. And I think this is kind of a funny thing if you really think about it grammatically. He's saying, I want you to receive the thing that is already implanted in you. I want you to receive it. And you're like, I already did. It's like, no, no, I want you to receive it. You're like, it's already here. Like, what is he saying? That's kind of a random thought. Uh, but what he's talking about, the word implanted, it's the word of truth that has been implanted in us. That's salvation. It's the word of God that has been implanted, that we have believed the gospel, that the spirit is now within us, that we are saved. 
But just as he was saying in 18, moving on to 19, just because we are saved and the word is implanted, we still are called and commanded to receive the word of God. That it doesn't just stop once we're saved. The work continues. The work continues on in our lives. Really, James is, is giving us the full picture of what salvation is. The full picture of what salvation is. We start with justification. The word has been implanted. The power or the penalty of sin has been removed. We have been justified. We have been made right legally before God that when he looks at us, he sees us as as saved, as pure, as unblemished. The penalty is gone. And the power of sin has been broken. And our lives now in this process of sanctification is, is, is slowly stripping away the power of sin in our lives that has been broken. And yet we, by faith, must walk in that and is slowly surrendering more and more and more over to him. And he says, receive the word because the power is in the word. Walk by the spirit. And he says at the end, which is able to save your souls. He's talking about glorification, that final part of of this salvation process, this is when we have been removed from the presence of sin forever. That we have been glorified in heaven. So we are saved, yes. We are being saved, yes. Will we lose that salvation if we struggle in sanctification? No, not at all. But the command remains to receive the word. And the command remains that we would throw off, that we would put aside all filthiness and all that remains of, of wickedness. Wickedness. Uh, wickedness. The idea there is that you would res, uh, rid yourself of all that is dirty. They would even think about like taking off your clothes that were just covered in filth. That's what he's saying. He says, hey, you need to take these clothes off that are, are filthy and receive the word of God. Take these things off. It's this idea, walk by the Spirit and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. That you need to remove these things from your life because they have no place anymore. They don't belong there. Your old self, your old flesh, and all that went with it has no power anymore. Get rid of it. But the problem for a lot of us in this room is that we try and kind of manage a little bit of both. We're trying to read the Word. We're trying to go to church. We're trying to do these things. And yet we still have all of these addictions. We have these toxic relationships. We have uh, these, these things in our lives that we're just trying to live both and we're being fed by both. And it just does not work that way. If you think back to the parable of the sower that Jesus preaches, uh, there's, there's four uh, seeds that plant and they all have different um, outcomes, essentially. And, and one of the seeds is, is planted and it sprouts among the thorns. And it starts and it grows up, but all of these. And receive the word of God and the word of God alone. Listen, if you've got things in your life and you're just trying to play both of them, the thorns are going to choke you out. You must receive the word of God and live by the word of God alone. Rid yourself of those things. Interestingly enough, I I did some research on that word, and it's like ruparia is what it means in Greek, and the the root word rupas literally means like earwax, ear filth, which is kind of gross. But I love the the word thought of that is, is he says, hey, get rid of all of this filthiness and then receive the word of God. So he's like, you need to clean your ears because it is hindering you from hearing the word of God accurately. Isn't that good? Rupas. Get the rupas out of your life. Uh, I don't know what that means. That sounded weird when I said it out loud. But, uh, but that's the idea that, that we would get rid of all of that stuff that remains and receive the word of God in humility. In humility. 
think the opposite of in receiving it in humility is thinking that we know better than God. It's, it's, it's being slow to anger. We would be quick to anger that when we are confronted, do we reject it? Do we think we know better? Do we walk in pride and say, I'm going to do it my way. I know better than God. I think my, my way is going to be better. I think this lifestyle will be more joyful. Or do we walk in humility? Do you reject the truth? Or do you trust God and walk in humility? So we receive the word of God because it produces righteousness in us. We must rid ourselves of filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. And in humility, we receive the word of God. We run to it. We run to it day after day after day. So he covers all of this in, in one verse. And, and so this is our first area of examination. And you've got to ask yourself, how am I doing in that? Is this true of me? Does that mark my life or no? And what I'm not saying is that if you didn't read your Bible today, you are deceiving yourself and you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. That might be true. But um, I, you've got to ask yourself, like, what is within you? Is there an actual desire? And, and when you stray, is there a remorse? Is there a repentance? Do you, do you not like that side of you? Like, man, I don't want that in my life. I want to be with you, God. Like, is there a spirit in you that is grieved by your straying and by your sin that draws you back to the Lord? Is there a repentance? Because that is the greatest mark that we would see in the life of a Christian. That gives me great hope when I see a repentance in, in the people of this room. Because we're not going to throw a perfect performance. But when we return, and we are quick to return to the Lord, when we stray, there is hope for us. So this is our first area of examination. Now, our, our second area is our response to the Scriptures. Are you obedient to the Scriptures? Verse 22, But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Just be doers of the Word. Prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now, I know I just spent like 10 to 15 minutes talking about being hearers of the Word just for him to say, hey, don't. Like, don't just be hearers of the word. Like, I don't, that's not a waste of time, I hope you don't think. Uh, but, but there's more than just hearing the word of God. And I think we all know this, right? There's more than just hearing the word of God, that we must be doers of God's word. And there's one thing I just, I love this. Notice that James doesn't say to do the word. He doesn't say do the word of God. He says, be doers of the word. What's the difference? One is characterized by activity, while the other is characterized by identity. One is just activity, the other one is identity. One of my profs at DBU said this all the time. He said, being precedes doing. Being, who you are, precedes doing, just activities that you do. And he says, be doers of the word. It must stem from our identity of who we are in Christ as a new creation. That stems our obedience as doers of the word, not just some external activity that we have just started taking up. There's a difference there. There's a difference between somebody that just shoots a gun and a soldier that fights in wars. There's a difference between those things. There is identity and there's activity. And James says, this is who you are. You can go to church, you can sing worship songs, but that doesn't mean you're a genuine Christian. Be a doer of the word. Here's the analogy that G James gives, verse 23. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word, so he's talking about those that are just hearers. They are a hearer of the word and not a doer. He is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So this person, they look at themselves in a mirror, they, they see what they look like. For them, this was like polished bronze, or if they were really rich and bougie, they could do it in gold, and apparently it was a better reflection. But they could actually kind of see and make out like what they were, or what they looked like, um, based on, on these reflections that they would have. And, and I think as they look at it, then they walk away, and then they immediately forget like what they had just seen. And I think if we're all honest, this has probably happened to all of us, that we have looked into a mirror and we saw something that we didn't really like, or we saw something that we needed to, uh, to fix, maybe clean up, and then we get distracted, and we go on without our day, and then we realize, I only have makeup on half of my face. <laughs> Happens to me all the time. No, it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> never put makeup on in my life. Mainly like shaving or something like that. I'm like, I didn't finish. <laughs> you know, like that's really rough. But we look and we see, it's like, okay, I need to fix this. I need to change this. But then we go on about our day and we completely forget that change needed to happen. So this is the analogy that, that James is making here. And I think maybe this is more than a mirror. I know for me, I have to, I have to put myself on blast for this because Amy got mad at me for so long, but we had, we just got like this big old box that had our new bed frame in it, and it was probably in our bedroom just hanging up, or not hanging up, leaning up against the wall for like a month, and every morning I'd wake up and I'd see that box, and I'm like, I really need to do that, and I said, today's the day, and then I would leave and go out of the room, and i forget, and then I would come back that night and be like, today was not the day, <laughs> and I just did it over and over again, and uh, Amy was like, so is this ever going to happen, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, I need to do this, you know, and I'd see it, and I'm like, okay, I need to act on this. And then I would go on with my life and I completely forget. And then I think it was Saturday. What is today? Yeah, Saturday or Sunday. I finally did it. Okay, I finally did it. I've conquered it. It's, it is done. And then I turn it the wrong way. And so, bummer, right? We uh, got to fix that, but I'll do that next month. No, <laughs> a kid, a kid, hopefully. Um, but but here's, here's the point that James is making with this. If we see things that need to be fixed in our lives, uh, but then we go on with our lives and, and those things leave unchanged, then we are like a man who hears the word and never obeys it. We hear the word. We are confronted with sin. We're confronted with something in our lives that needs to change in order to be conformed to God's word, but then we go on and we never obey. You say, well, that's foolish. Like, well, you're just looking there with half your face covered with makeup. Like, that doesn't look right exactly. He says, and yet all the time we hear God's word. We're convicted right here in these seats or in our quiet times. Man, I need, to, I need to grow in this area. Then we close our Bibles, we jump on our phone, and no change ever happens. And this happens to us all the time. We get distracted, we go, up on, our, we go on with our lives, and obedience never happens. Will we obey perfectly? No. We won't obey perfectly, but, but the desire and the effort to obey is there, and, and there is confession and repentance when there is not. But that true believer is there in verse 25. It says, but one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. This person will be 
blessed in what he does. That is the mark of a true believer. It's marked by obedience, the perfect law of freedom. You might think that's an oxymoron, the law of freedom. If you know, walking with Christ and following Christ, we are, are freed from the bondage of sin. We are free from the bondage of sin, sin that enslaved us since birth. We are brought forth in iniquity. And now following the law of Christ, the law of grace, we are freed in the law of liberty. What a beautiful thing for us to be slaves of Christ. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And maybe you have viewed God's word as, as, as a law of, of just bondage that you would hate for the rest of your life, but that's not what the scriptures say of it. It's a law of freedom. It's a law of liberty, but the one that is blessed is the one that obeys it, that abides by it, literally perseveres in it, meaning it's not just going to be easy all the time, but we obey in it. We're not exasperated and discouraged by this call to obedience because it should lead us to freedom. Freedom from sin and free to serve God because we love God. But for those of us in this room, if we hear God's word and we don't obey it and we don't respond to it, scriptures say we deceive ourselves. That we would think we are a Christian, but we are deceiving ourselves that we are not. Because the mark of a Christian is marked by obedience. Yet I know there are some of you in this room that say, well, I'm obeying. Like, I'm here at church. I do these things. Like, I pray before meals. Like, I, I kind of obey. I'm, I'm doing all these things. So this is great for me, right? James goes on. He says, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, that idea of religious there, it's, it's just this ceremonial public worship. These people that would just kind of go through the routines and, and rituals of these external pra practices, checking off the list, the word there is, is, is threskos. It's not Eusebius. Eusebius is a godliness of a pure worship, but threskos is just, it's just this motion. You're going through the motions, and you think yourself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. And there are people in here, you think you are religious, you think yourself that, yeah, I'm doing all of these things, I'm obedient, and that marks my life. You say, hey, you're deceiving yourself. And he says, what gives it away is that you do not bridle your tongue. You do not bridle your tongue. This, this resembles perfectly what uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. I'm going to jump there. You can if you want, but I'm going to go quick. Uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus honestly talks many of the same things that James does. And, uh, and these are some of the most sobering words that I think are in the scriptures. I'm going to start in verse 43. He says this, For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. There is no good tree that produces bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. It's who he is. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. There are these people that think they are religious because of the things that they do and the attendance that they, they have, maybe even here. But James says, but they are deceiving themselves because they do not bridle their tongue. But it's not just that they can't control their, their tongue. It's not the problem is that they can't tame their tongue. 
It's that their heart has not been transformed. It's, it's because there was no transformation. Their salvation was not genuine. You will never tame your tongue if your heart has not been transformed. Why? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's who you are. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. It's an overflow of your heart. And so you can show up here on a Tuesday night, look great, serve really well in volleyball, do all of these things, but it's who you are the rest of this time and what comes out of your heart. What you speak of, what you love, what you desire, that is what reveals who you are. It is what is truly in here that marks who you are. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed and the ruin of that house was great. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? He says, why do you go through the motions? Why do you call yourself religious? Why do you do religious things? But there is no true obedience in your life. He says, if you are that person that thinks to be religious or thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Let me just tell you, all the things you do, all the things you mark off of your checklist, if, if there is no heart transformation in you that comes from the word of God, the agent of transformation, your religion, your exercises, your activities, they're worthless. They have accomplished nothing. Hard thing about the Christian life and, and understanding kind of where we are a lot of times is that the activities look the same, right? Right? There's two people here that one has come to hear the word of God, the other one's here and trying to hear the word of God, and in the activities, the actions are the same, but the heart might be very, very differently. And heart work and heart examination is something that I can't do, you can't do, we can't do, but, but we can look at the fruit of our lives. We can look at the track record and where we are going and what we are like and the people that are around us and saying, where is my heart genuinely? And asking the Lord, my Lord, would you examine me? Would you make it evident where I stand with you? Here's how he closes, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, that is at orphans and widows in their distress and to keeps oneself unstained by the world. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. See the juxtaposition. One who thinks himself to be religious. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God. So you can convince yourself, but the one that actually matters is what is before God. And pure and undefiled religion, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Can I just put that in one word? It's love. Christians are marked by love. John 13, this is how one will know you, by your love by your love for one another? Are you compassionate 
orphans and widows is, I mean, that is the meeting the need of, of where people are that we, we love people that are, it's so self-serving to us. It's easy. We always surround ourselves with people that, that, that are fun to be around. It's natural. It's comfortable. It's convenient. And, and we try and avoid and move away people that, that require attention and effort. And, and we just don't want to sacrifice. But sacrificial love is, is modeled by Jesus on the cross his whole life. Just would you take up your cross and follow me? Would you love like I loved? Because the only way you're going to love like Jesus loved is if you have been loved by Jesus. If you do not know the Father, if you do not have the love of the Father that's in you, then you will never love genuinely. It will not be pure and undefiled religion. It's love. It's compassion. It's what comes out of your heart that matters. Is it a love for God? Is it a love for his creation? Is it a love for his people? that stems from who you are as a doer of the word. Not trying to earn love, but because you are loved, you do all of these things. It's a love of Christ that compels you to do what you do. To sum this all up, true worship in the eyes of God, which are the only eyes that matter, true worship is marked by obedience and love. A desire to know God's word and to walk with him because you know there's nowhere better. True worship is marked by obedience and love. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll have our closing worship song, and then uh, Kenzie's got some announcements, and we'll hang out and make a, have a wonderful Tuesday night. Sound good? Okay, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word that brings transformation in our lives, and uh, for so many of our friends that are here in this room that, that were dead, dead in their sins and transgressions of which we once walked. Um, but you have made us alive together with Christ. And what a, a glorious thing um, that, that we have been changed, we have been redeemed, we've been reconciled and restored to, to life with you, and, and now our lives are a response to, to your goodness. Our, our lives are a response to, to your love and, and what you have done. And so I pray for my friends in this room that, that we, will, we, we would be quick to listen, eager to know your word, to, to know you, because because you are, are worthy of everything that we could possibly do with our lives. You're worthy of the, of the songs that we sing, worthy of uh, the lives that we live, and I, I pray that as, as we sing this song, it, it would be true of our lives and the way that we live, and um, that you would be honored by the way that we live, by the way that we serve, by, uh, by who we are as doers of the word. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.